Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Wednesday, September 22nd, 2022. It's been 3,127 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 211 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Our team regrets to share that we believe that one of our key contacts in the Donbass region of Ukraine was imprisoned or killed on or slightly after May 16th. Given their known location and where the line of conflict was during our last contact, we are inclined to believe they have been killed. After four months with no communication and no presence on any social media channel, we have no choice but to reach this conclusion. Rest in power, G and we hold out hope that you will emerge someday. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain Russia's partial mobilization of 300,000 reservists will not significantly impact the trajectory of the war in Ukraine through the spring of 2023 because of poor equipment, training, command, morale, and the well-known realities of the war in Ukraine among Russian veterans. Second, our assessment that partial mobilization will make it far more difficult to control the internal narrative within Russia was accurate, with protests erupting across the country, resulting in the death of at least one protester. Third, we maintain there is an increased risk that if partial mobilization fails to change the situation in Ukraine— the Putin regime will face a political upheaval that could result in government changes. Fourth, we maintain there is a risk of getting trapped in the mutually assured destruction instability paradox due to continued threatening language from the Kremlin and increased Russian ballistic submarine activity on Wednesday. Fifth, we maintain the sham referendums will not change the tactics or strategy of Ukraine or its Western supporters. However, Western nuclear powers have stated they have been forced to take Russia's nuclear threats seriously. Sixth, we have noted a significant and continued decline in the amount of Russian artillery fire theater-wide, indicating that ammunition and staffing issues, coupled with equipment wearing out, is becoming a critical issue. Seventh, we maintain the continued Russian offensive on Bakhmut Solidar is entirely pointless and will not provide a tactical or strategic victory. Eighth, we maintain our assessment that as the situation for Russian troops in Kherson worsens due to supply issues and conditions, forces will seek to surrender. And finally, we maintain our assessment that the Russian military in Ukraine is combat-destroyed and has no meaningful way to respond to the ongoing collapse. 
Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Kherson counteroffensive and Mykolaiv. Russian sources did not report on any kinetic warfare in Kherson. Artillery and rocket strike reports from the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, and Operational Command South, or OCS, did not provide any specifics. Air operations significantly increased after the focus on suppress and destroy enemy air defense efforts concluded in Zaporizhia yesterday. There were 21 reported airstrikes on Russian positions, and ground forces launched 280 fire missions. Videos show that Ukrainian forces with the 28th Mechanized Brigade may have lost up to two companies attacking or defending Pravdine. Up to 20 tanks, infantry fighting vehicles, armored personnel carriers and armored vehicles were destroyed earlier in the month. It would be the worst verifiable defeat since the Ukrainian counteroffensive started at the end of August. The Ukrainian Air Force and artillery units were extremely busy. OCS reported two Russian command and control centers were destroyed by rockets fired by HIMARS in Kherson. In Dudchene, a Russian ammunition depot and command and control center were destroyed, and a Russian forward operating base in Novovoskresensk was attacked. Ukrainian Air Force suppress and destroy enemy air defense efforts destroyed a Russian radar station in Krutiyar. Russian ammunition depots and troop concentrations in Pyatki-Khatki, Kherson, and Novokhovka were destroyed. A Russian supply column attempting to cross the partially repaired Kakhovka Bridge was destroyed, and Russian military equipment and troops staged to cross on a barge to Kherson were attacked. But wait, there's more. Rockets fired by HIMARS destroyed the State Emergency Services Office in Russian-occupied Molodizne. The building suffered heavy damage. Rockets fired from HIMARS also destroyed a Russian barracks on Rosa Luxemburg Street in Kherson. Video from the scene recorded the sounds of small arms munitions cooking off from the completely destroyed building. OCS also reported that a Russian Mi-24 helicopter was shot down by ground forces using a manpad. We had previously assessed that after the Russian attack on the dam in Kriviri, the Inulets River floodwaters would not care about Russian or Ukrainian pontoon bridges. A video showed the remnants of a flooded-out Russian pontoon bridge in Kherson, with several military vehicles destroyed. The remains of a Russian T-62 tank with a cope cage were on the opposite bank, resting on the only section still above water. Did the Russian mill bloggers claiming this was a genius idea last week learn anything? Keep listening. Maybe we'll find out. A small group of Russian troops surrendered to Ukrainian forces in an undisclosed area of the Kherson Oblast. Overnight, Mykolaiv was hit by up to nine Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for ground attack. Local officials reported that two missiles were duds, and Explosive Ordnance Disposal, or EOD, was in the city center, working to defuse the warheads. The missiles damaged multiple apartment buildings, and knocked out water, electrical, and natural gas service in parts of the city. Russian forces shelled and fired Grad and Smirch rockets from Multiple Launch Rocket Systems, or MLRS, on several smaller towns and settlements. Vitaly Kim, the Mykolaiv Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that artillery shells and rockets struck Shevchenkov, Pervomaiske, Yavkino, and Biloserka. One civilian was injured in Biloserka. On the Black Sea coast, 
Ochakiv was hit by smirch or tornado rockets using cluster munitions. The rockets landed on the outskirts of the town, and there were no reported injuries. Our assessment in Kherson and Mykolaiv is unchanged from September 11th. We recapped it on Monday's episode around minute three. Let's move on to Dnipropetrovsk and northern Zaporizhia, where we've updated the Russian objective to include claiming annexation of northern Zaporizhia after the referendum in Russia-occupied regions, in addition to interdicting personnel and equipment assembling for a counteroffensive, breaking civilian will with continued terror attacks, and turning popular opinion against Ukraine by terrorizing the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. The International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, confirmed that the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant was shelled twice, knocking out the electrical connections to Reactor 6 and damaging the plant cooling system to Reactor 5. Two of the three diesel backup generators for Reactor 6 automatically turned on, providing cooling and circulation for 40 minutes. Ukrainian engineers were able to restore the power. All of the reactors at ZNPP are in a cold state, and there wasn't a radiation leak. Russia and Ukraine traded accusations of attacking the plant, while IAEA Director General Rafael Grossi, who is in New York for the United Nations General Council meeting, did not assess blame, saying, quote, This once again demonstrates the urgent necessity to establish such a demilitarized zone around the ZNPP. Until yesterday, there seemed to be less shelling at or near the plant, but this latest episode shows that the danger remains very real. It hasn't gone away, and we can't afford to lose any more time. End quote. Nikopol was hit by 20 grad rockets fired by MLRS, damaging 17 apartments and knocking out natural gas and electrical service in some areas. There is more information in the war crimes and human rights segment. In Sinonikov, an apparent missile strike struck a grain warehouse, completely destroying its contents. Now to the Donbass region, starting with southern Zaporizhia. Fighting is ongoing in certain areas, but there has been a request to maintain operational security. Otherwise, there was only very sporadic artillery fire along the line of conflict from the Donetsk-Zaporizhia administrative border to Huliapola to Orekhiv. Pro-Russian sources continue to claim that Ukrainian troops are preparing to launch a large counteroffensive from Huliapola and Orekhiv. One source claimed that Ukrainian artillery positions were as far south as Novoandrivka and Novodanilivka. Both towns are barely at the minimum range for artillery to fire onto the known line of conflict, implying that Ukrainian forces have advanced further south than reported. In southwest Donetsk, the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, militia, did not report on any offensive operations and did not release videos from recent combat. In a sign of how much operational tempo has slowed, DNR officials claimed their forces destroyed two T-72 tanks and seven, quote, armored vehicles across the Donetsk Oblast. To be honest, even the low number is pretty sus, with the DNR militia constantly making false claims of battlefield victories. While we're on the subject of inflated claims, the DNR militia released a video that had been recorded earlier based on weather conditions, showing 40 grad rockets being fired at a, quote, concentration of Ukrainian nationalists. The video showed two soldiers, 
and did not show the aftermath of the rocket attack. The only fighting was positional battles between elements of the DNR 1st Army Corps and Ukrainian forces entrenched east of Novomikhailivka. Russian artillery fire was significantly reduced compared to two months ago when the initial offensive to encircle Avdivka started. Video on social media showed a rocket or artillery strike on the Russian-occupied city of Makivka. The target and the results of the strike are unknown. In Horlivka, local social media reports indicated that rockets or artillery struck the Azot district. A significant fire was burning with the sound of small arms ammunition cooking off. There was an apparent artillery strike in Genkiv, destroying a warehouse with Russian military vehicles and equipment. Insurgents in Melitopol deny responsibility for an explosion in the central market area that killed three Russian soldiers. Ivan Fedorov, the exiled mayor of the city, claims the attack was a false flag done by the FSB. In Bakhmut, Ukrainian forces fought positional battles against the private military company or PMC Wagner Group on the southeastern edge of Bakhmutska. There were no changes in territorial control. Fighting for control of the Ukrainian strongpoints east of Bakhmut along the highway restarted, with PMC Wagner suffering heavy losses. The Russian Air Force bombed the soccer field in Bakhmut. That would be the football pitch for our international audience. Russian forces continued artillery strikes on Bakhmut and the surrounding towns, but like the rest of the theater, the amount of artillery fire from Russian forces declined dramatically. Wagner Group continued their attempts to advance into Odradivka and Kudyumivka and remained unsuccessful. The Kadyrovites with 141st Akhmat attempted to advance into Zaitseve again, with their hopes of making cool TikTok videos once again denied. You are never going to get your blue check at this rate, guys. In northeast Donetsk and Luhansk, there were reports from Ukrainian and Russian sources that Ukraine liberated the settlement of Dobrysheve, which would be a significant development for Russian troops in Lehman. NASA Fire Information for Resource Management Systems, or FIRMS, indicated there was fighting in Yampil, Lehman, and along the last open ground line of communication, or G-lock, those are supply lines, in and out of Lehman. Some assessment here. We believe that Russian forces are technically encircled with travel along the Lehman-Zarich road subject to Ukrainian artillery and airstrikes. The potential fighting NASA firms indicates near Stavki could be Russian forces blocking an advance toward Zarich, which would leave Russian troops in a complete encirclement and likely incapable of staging a breakthrough. We maintain that Ukrainian troops are not attempting a direct assault and are seeking to envelop Lehman. There has not been confirmation that Koroviyar was liberated and fighting for control of Rupsi continued. Rockets fired by HIMARS hit the Russian logistics and supply hub in Novoidar. A video showed a large plume of smoke rising over the city, providing evidence that the target was not an ammunition or fuel depot. Ukrainian forces have been targeting Russian troop concentrations north of the Siversky Donets since the Kharkiv counteroffensive started on September 6th. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. 
You can find us on patreon.com at News. Moving on to the Kharkiv region, where both belligerents were silent on activity in the area. There were unconfirmed reports of heavy fighting for control of the Kupiansk bridgehead. There were reports that the sound of heavy fighting and near-constant artillery fire could be heard by the residents of Borova in the direction of Kupiansk. Russia attacked the Pachini Reservoir for the third time, striking the dam and the surrounding area with two S-300 anti-aircraft missiles. Local officials reported the upper airlock was damaged and repairs were underway. The reservoir holds back the Seversky Donetsk River, and its destruction would be catastrophic. Pro-Russian account Rybar has learned about hydrology over the last week and called out the attacks as short-sighted. They correctly pointed out that any flooding caused below the dam would be temporary. They also astutely pointed out that the rising river south of the dam would create a lowering river to the north, exposing under-defended Russian positions east of Kharkiv. They also questioned if Russian troops had the force strength to capitalize on a dam breach while protecting the northeastern positions. Ukrainian forces continue to find caches of Russian equipment and munitions scattered across the Kharkiv Oblast in the liberated territories. In our assessment, the ammunition-starved artillery units south of Izum were artificially created due to terrible Russian logistics, communication, and potential corruption. Captured Russian equipment continues to be put into service by Ukrainian troops, with a video showing a Russian-provided 2S5 Hyacinth self-propelled howitzer bringing on the pain one 152mm shell at a time. In the Cherniev and Sumy region, Dmitry Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported the Hromadas of Shalakhin, Bilopilia and Seredina Buda were attacked by Russian troops stationed over the international border. There was a border skirmish near Shalahin for the second day in a row with light arms fire. The War Crimes and Human Rights segment provides more information about the attacks. In the Black Sea, Crimea, and Odessa region, explosions rang out near the naval base in Sevastopol, causing alarm. Russian officials reported they were destroying a USV, or uncrewed, surface vessel. The new type of drone boat had not been seen before and contained Latin alphabet markings. The vessel was about the size of an ocean-going kayak powered by an inboard motor. It was equipped with cameras, infrared night vision sensors, communications, and possibly a small radar array. It is unknown if the vessel was meant for surveillance or was packed with explosives for ramming ships. On the Russian front, Russian ballistic submarine activity increased globally, likely as a demonstration of potential nuclear capability or being ordered into a state of heightened readiness. Social media video showed a truckload of Fab 500 non-precision bombs in transit in the Russian city of Krasnodar. The 500-kilogram bombs, also known as dumb bombs or gravity bombs, require Russian pilots to flow at lower speeds and altitudes directly over a target, increasing the risk of being shot down during the approach. Now, we would comment on the complete lack of safety and operational security in the bomb's transportation, but honestly, at this point, nothing surprises us regarding the complete absence of 
Russian operational security. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Hey, guess what? It has still been zero days since Russia threatened to use nuclear weapons. Dmitry Medvedev claimed that the Russian Ministry of Defense can use any weapons, including nuclear, to defend territories, quote, admitted to Russia. Russian President Vladimir Putin's speech was derided by the United States and other NATO nations. General Patrick Ryder, the Pentagon press secretary, said in a statement, quote, The announcement and associated threats are another sign that Russia is struggling to salvage its illegal occupation of Ukraine. Our focus continues to remain on supporting Ukraine with security assistance as they defend their country. End quote. British Defense Secretary Ben Wallace said, quote, No amount of threats and propaganda can hide the fact that Ukraine is winning this war. End quote. The Ukrainian army received another shipment of 122mm artillery shells manufactured in Iran. The shells were manufactured in 2022. It is unknown if the munitions were sold directly to Ukraine, acquired through a party nation supplied by Iran, or came from the United States from an intercepted illegal weapons shipment. Russia, their proxies in the DNR and LNR, and Ukraine are struggling with maintaining the supply of 122mm artillery shells. Reuters reported that North Korea's state media agency, KCNA, claimed the isolated nation has never supplied munitions or weapons to Russia to support the, quote, special military operation, and has no plans to do so in the future. Some assessment here. It's easy to dismiss this as a lie from North Korean officials, but from a contrarian viewpoint, China holds tremendous influence and power over the nation. In our assessment, we believe China may have told North Korea not to provide munitions to Russia. In a recorded statement played to the United Nations General Assembly, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky outlined Kyiv's conditions for negotiating peace with Russia, punishing the aggressor, protecting the life of Ukrainians, restoring Ukrainian security and territorial integrity, security guarantees from world powers, and decisiveness to support these terms. Zelensky said, quote, We are ready for peace, but for a fair and just world. End quote. He also reminded the Council, disputing Putin's claims from his mobilization speech, that Ukraine's intention to become members of the European Union and NATO was well known before Russia's attack and is written into the nation's constitution. The State Secretary of the Security Council of Belarus told national news sources there wouldn't be any additional mobilization efforts in the nation because the military is already mobilized. Ukraine and an unnamed NATO country have agreed to a joint project to build an ammunition factory. Building the factory in Ukraine is not viable, so it is likely to be built in one of the border countries. Let's talk more about the Russian mobilization. Anti-mobilization protests erupted across Russia after Putin's speech. Human rights observers reported up to 1,300 people were arrested, and OMON forces possibly killed one woman after a baton blow to the head. Protesters face up to 15 years in prison under Russia's don't-say-war law, and some reportedly were given immediate mobilization papers at police stations. In one video, a Russian man was mocking anti-mobilization protesters, 
saying he was reporting to the commissariat, quote, tomorrow, and supported the war in Ukraine. Unexpectedly, police officers grabbed him and another man. The man resisted police and was dragged off to a waiting bus. Editor's note, why wait until tomorrow for what you can do today? Arrested protesters flooded social media with pictures of call-up papers from the commissariat to report for military duty given as part of their release. In Tolayeti, Russia, protesters tried to burn down the city administration building. The western Russian city on the banks of the Volga River has been a hotspot of anti-war protest since the start of the so-called special military operation. The border crossing from Russia into Georgia was clogged with cars lined up for kilometers at customs. Russian nationals with any source of means who are facing mobilization orders are taking all sorts of measures to hide from authorities. At Vunyakovo Airport, the terminal was overflowing as military-aged men waited to board flights. In an unconfirmed video by two journalists, they allegedly called Dmitry Peskov's son, Nikolai, pretending to be with the military commissariat. They accuse him of ignoring his mobilization notification, with the younger Peskov playing the do-you-know-who-I-am card and saying that he would take it up with higher authorities. Faced with resistance and panic, the Russian Federation has closed internal borders to all men who have completed one year of compulsory military conscription, preventing them from leaving their region. Russia is divided into 85 federal subjects, comprised of oblasts, republics, krais, autonomous zones, and federal cities such as St. Petersburg and Moscow. Military recruitment and conscription for the Central Army are managed by each federal subject, with military records still kept on paper. Russia is reportedly setting up checkpoints on highways and roads to check young men's papers and remind them of their need to report to the commissariat for military deployment if they are on the activation list. Russian state media appears to be desperately trying to sell mobilization and the support of the people. In an incredible interview done by Russia Today, they do a man-on-the-street interview with a person saying they're willing to go to war if they get mobilized. That person interviewed, though, they never even bothered to take off their RT employee badge. Protests and resistance weren't everywhere. In Yakutia, families waved goodbye as men poured into the commissariat for reactivation to military duty. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is minimal graphic detail in today's report, but if you're sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. Our previous report of a looming prisoner of war exchange brokered by Turkey was accurate. Ukraine received 215 POWs in exchange for 55 Russian troops and Putin ally Viktor Medvedchuk, who was captured by Ukrainian forces during the Russian retreat from Kiev in the early spring. Saudi Arabian officials negotiated the release of 10 additional prisoners of war, all foreign fighters, including three sentenced to death by a kangaroo court in the Donetsk People's Republic. Among the 215 Ukrainians released, 108 were Azovstal defenders that surrendered on May 12th, in an agreement brokered by the Red Cross between Russia and Ukraine that collapsed only hours later. 
Among the group were Denis Redis Prokopenko, commander of the Azov Regiment, Sviatoslav Kalina Palomar, deputy commander, Serhii Volina Volinsky, commander of the 36th Separate Marine Brigade, Mariana Mamanova and Katerina Berdi Petashka, both combat medics, Dimitro Kozatsky, soldier and now internationally famous photographer, and Mykhailo Dayanov, whose bandaged arm, stabilized with external metal bars, became an international symbol. Ten foreign fighters, including two Americans, were also exchanged with assistance from Saudi Arabia. Alexander John Robert Droyke and Andy Tai Nok Nguyen were sentenced to death in a show trial after their capture in June. Moroccan national Saudun Brahim was captured at the same time and also faced the death penalty before the exchange. The trio were not illegal combatants, and their execution would have been considered a war crime. All told, five Britons, two Americans, one Moroccan, one Swede, and one Croatian were released. Russia received 55 prisoners in exchange, including two pilots. There is also one soldier from the DNR and one from the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR. Russian mill bloggers and social media expressed absolute outrage after the prisoner of war exchange. The initial reaction was the denial of the terms and how many were released. Our favorite FSB colonel, war criminal, and Kremlin pariah, Igor Gherkin Strelkov, wrote, quote, The release of five British mercenaries and the exchange of the remaining Azov regiment, which was still in captivity, carried out yesterday by agreement with the Saudi Arabia and respected Kiev partners, is worse than a crime. It is worse than a mistake. This is incredible stupidity. End quote. War Gonzo blasted the trade, asking why 128 Russian soldiers were left behind, saying, quote, Everything happened in complete darkness, including the arrival of our soldiers and officers at home, unlike the opposite side, where there are flashes and spotlights. End quote. Author Dmitry Selesnev wrote, quote, is anyone responsible for all of this? End quote. We can't share Russian mill blogger Rybar's scathing and racism-laced post, which mocked RIA-style press releases that exaggerate Russian successes. An overnight rocket attack on Nikopol killed a 35-year-old man in his apartment while he was sleeping, according to Valentin Reznichenko, Dnipropetrovsk Oblast administrative and military governor. The attack also damaged two hospitals and a history museum. On Memory Alley, several monuments were badly damaged. A daytime Russian missile attack on Zaporizhia hit the city center, destroying administrative buildings, civilian infrastructure, and a hotel, killing at least one person. Rescuers were still going through the rubble at the time of recording. Ukrainian officials are accusing Russian military of forcibly relocating 2,000 residents of Kuzemivka and Honcharivka. The villages are north of the critical Russian transit and supply hub of Svatov, and Russian troops are reportedly turning both towns into fortresses. It is claimed that homes and vehicles were confiscated from the residents, who were shipped deeper into Luhansk. DNR officials claim that Hospital No. 17 in Russian-occupied Donetsk was damaged due to a nearby artillery or rocket attack. Photos showed windows broken and signs of blast damage in a patient room. It was claimed that two people were injured. 
Sumi Oblast Governor Zhivitsky reported that the Athens Psychoneurological Boarding School was hit by mortar fire. No one was injured, but the storage warehouse was destroyed and nearby buildings were damaged by flying shrapnel. A Russian rocket attack using cluster munitions badly damaged the art and music school in Chasivyar. There were no injuries reported. The intentional targeting of educational facilities is considered a war crime, as is using cluster munitions in civilian areas. Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missiles fired for ground attack struck the Olbia archaeological site in Mykolaiv. The remains of a Hellenic city from the 7th century BC are located there, and it is considered one of the best ancient ruin sites in Ukraine. The ancient city of Pontic Olbia was a center of commerce and trade for 1,100 years before the Romans abandoned the location in the 4th century. The intentional targeting of historical and culturally significant sites is considered a war crime under the Geneva Convention and was in fact one of the first established, quote, rules of war after the end of World War I. Russian occupying forces destroyed at least one of the ancient Cumin statues on Kremenets Mountain in Izum. The statues depicting women were carved between the 9th and 13th centuries. The Cummins are historically significant to the development of the Kievan Rus and the empires and kingdoms of Bulgaria, Serbia, Moldova, and Georgia. We weren't sure which section to put this one under, but the human rights part is as close of a fit as we could find. Russian missiles attacked a railroad station near Kharkiv, destroying a line of refrigerated cars parked on a sidetrack. The cars were full of the corpses of Russian soldiers that the Ministry of Defense had refused to collect. Pictures showed the remains of insulation from the railroad cars and body bags in the burned remains of at least two carriages. Ukrainian officials report they are holding over 8,000 bodies of Russian soldiers in refrigeration in compliance with international law. In geopolitical news, rumors that Sergei Lavrov has disappeared in New York and is defecting are untrue. He was photographed at the United Nations building hanging out with his counterpart from China. And in economic news, the ruble improved after a volatile day on Wednesday with an exchange rate of 59 for one U.S. dollar. Oil prices dropped with WTI crude falling to $83 a barrel and Brent at $90 a barrel. RBOB wholesale gasoline on the spot market was $2.52 a gallon, or 66 cents a liter. Chicago SRW wheat futures held steady, trading at $8.98 a bushel for December 2022 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.